Let me, sh- let me open the word of the Lord to you now. We're going to God's word. This is the most important time in this service because God has given us his eternal word. The Lord has given us a book that is supernatural. It's not just a natural book. It's a supernatural book. Those that criticize it as it being untrue, or whatever, they've never studied it. They, they're parroting some atheist somewhere. The word of God is miraculous. It's wonderful. And it's, it's a book of redemption. And it's also a book of sanctification. Because not only does it show us how to be saved. And isn't, isn't being saved the most glorious thing that could happen to someone? To know that we're saved. Abiding in the vine. And the vine abiding in us. And, and we're on our way to heaven. And one day when we die. And, and we will die one day. We will leave this world one day. And on that day we need to make sure that we are right with God. Because I am not skilled enough in rhetoric to be able to describe to you the utter horror of someone who dies and goes out into eternity without Jesus Christ as their Savior. One moment after death. will begin eternal regret. But now in this life, we have, a, we have a chance. Everyone has a chance. You know, we're, in the gospel, we're going to be in the Gospel of John on Wednesday night. And we're just going to go verse by verse. And we're just going to read and, and expound the words. And we're in the first chapter. And it says, the light that, sh- that is, is coming in the world has given light to every man coming in the world. Salvation is that great gift. But the Bible is not only a book of redemption, it's a book of sanctification. And in fact, more of the Bible talks about that than salvation, truly, when you look at it. It tells us how to live for God. It tells us what's available to those who know God. And today I want to speak briefly on the Holy Spirit's ministry. Because the Holy Spirit is available to every Christian And we look in this wonderful verse, Acts 2, 38 and 9. And these verses are precious to me. These verses are verses that the Lord worked in my life to confirm things to me and to lead me. And I would call these verses in the way the Lord worked in my life at that moment of time. I could tell you where it was. I would call it supernatural how the Lord spoke these verses to me. It wasn't dead letters on a page, but it was alive to me. And Peter preaching, and he said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises to you and to your children and to all who are far off. As many as the Lord our God will call. May the Lord open his heart to our word, to to our spirits today, his word to our heart. May God speak to you. Today is Pentecost Sunday. Actually, it's It's not Pentecost Sunday, it's 
It's the Sunday where we commemorate Pentecost. Because Pentecost happened a very, very long time ago, 2,000 years about, when something supernatural took place and the Spirit of the Lord was poured out on 120 precious people. Peter was there, James, John. Judas wasn't there, but Mary, the mother of Jesus, was there. There was 120. There was men and women there. It was just 120. And God changed the world. I think we're so carnal in our modern day. The church is so carnal, so worldly. We think so worldly. God just took 120 people. He said, I'm going to show you what I'm going to do to people that will love me supremely, lay down their lives for me. And he poured his supernatural presence upon And you say, how powerful was that outpouring? It was so powerful, it reached 1535 North Beltline Road. From, I mean, it started 2,000 years ago. So whatever all of the 10 million gazillion steps, it got to you and it got to me. I said, that's a powerful move of God. And it's going out with 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 with. with Still reverberating out further and further and further as we allow the Spirit of the Lord to fill us and it'll continue to be poured out until the day that Jesus catches us away into glory. Hallelujah. So today's the day we commemorate. Today's the day that I pray that we discover or rediscover the presence of the Holy Spirit in each of our lives. Now, if you've ever read the early church fathers, they, they are worth reading. You say, well, what do you mean the early church fathers? I mean those that were right after the apostles. You have the 12 apostles, and, and right after John dies, and then you have those ministers that fo- and those people that followed the Lord right after that. You know, John died about you know, 98, 99 uh, A.D., and then after that, you have people like Polycarp and Clement of Alexander and all of these people. And so if you read those hundreds of years after that, you get an insight on what God was doing in the church. And so what we've been told in our modern day is the Spirit of God only moved for the apostles. And that, that, that He doesn't do that anymore. He doesn't move like that anymore. He doesn't offer those things anymore. And there are millions of Christians who believe that. But do you realize that even after the apostles, hundreds of years after the apostles, the Spirit of God was being poured out? I'll just read you a couple quotes from a, a man named Origen. Here's what he said. And this is, this is 228, 228 A.D. Here's what he said, Origen. I quote, he said, I consider... The Holy Spirit supplies the material gifts to those who through Him and through participation in Him are called saints. In other words, God pours His Spirit out on His people. Just like Peter said here, to all who believe, all who are far off. That's what he's saying here. And then he says, as a result, the said substance of the gifts is made powerful by God and ministered 
is ministered by Christ and owes its actual existence in men to the Holy Spirit. In other words, what God's doing in the church, it's the Holy Spirit doing those things. I am led to this view of the charismata by the words of Paul. So they were still believing what Paul said over a hundred years after John died. And he writes, there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit, end quote. And then later on, in 248, 248 AD, he said this. He said this. This is way after the apostles. Traces of those signs and wonders are still preserved among us. Those who regulate their lives by the teachings of the gospel. In other words, God is still doing it. He's still moving in the gifts. He's still pouring out His presence, His anointing, His healing, His words of utterance, His words of power, His words of revelation to those who will open themselves up and say, we believe what God's Word has said. Today I have two things I want to say, two main things. One is this. As I was getting ready for this message, this preaching, this teaching, here's what came to my heart. I was just at my computer And here's what I thought, and I wrote it down, this. Number one, it is a high privilege to have and to experience the work of the Holy Spirit in our souls. Do you agree with that? It is a high, high, high privilege to have the Spirit of the living God. Do you realize The Holy Spirit is the first person of the Godhead that's mentioned in the Bible. In the beginning, God, Elohim. And then it says, the Holy Spirit was hovering. Elohim's the plural name of God. And then it distinctly mentions the Holy Spirit. It's a high privilege that the work of the Holy Spirit is made available in reality in our souls. And He, the Holy Spirit, is promised to every believer. Jesus prophesied of this and he said these words on the last day on the great day of the feast Jesus stood and he cried out he cried out saying if anyone anyone thirst let him come to me and drink he who believes in me whoever believes in me as the scripture has said out of his out of his heart out of his inner being will flow rivers of living water. Notice, but this spoke he concerning the Spirit. The Spirit. Whom whom those believing, believers, in Him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Now I thought about this. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given. And yet, we know that He's moving in Genesis 1. We know that He anointed David. We know that he anointed Samson. We anointed, he anointed the judges. He anointed others. He poured out his spirit on many. How could, this, how could Jesus say it had not been, he had not been given? What, he, what Jesus meant was the spirit of God was about to be poured out in a way that he had never been poured out. In a special way. In a new way. In a more powerful way. In a broader way. Not on one or two that God would anoint. But on all of God's people that would be sealed with the Holy Spirit. Jesus prophesied it. This glorious privilege. He only prophesied it, he promised it. 
Not only did he promise it, he commanded it. And later, Paul commands it to be something that we're seeking to continually experience in our lives. Jesus said he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise. Then he, co- then he said, for this promise is the promise of my Father. John will baptize in water, but I'll baptize with the Holy Spirit. And then Paul said, be filled, be being filled with the Spirit of God. His promise, command. I've read it. Peter preached it, did he not? Peter said, the promise is to you, to your children, and to all. Can I get some water? <coughs> Pardon me. Sinus drainage. Thank you, Lord. All who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. What is the purpose of this? Thank you, Brother Reese. Reese did a great job last, was it last week or did I preach last week? Did you preach last week? I don't know. I don't know what I did yesterday. You did great. I'm so proud of Reese. Amen. Isn't he turning into a marvelous preacher of the gospel? May this church produce some powerful men and women of God. What's the purpose? What is the purpose? Why, why, does the, why, does, why does he command the Spirit and promise the Spirit? Here's the reason why. Because the purpose of the church, hear this, is to be a dwelling of God. You hear that? A dwelling of God. Ephesians says this, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Notice this. Are you you listening? In whom you are being built together, you, the people, not the building, all buildings will be gone one day, but it says built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Every church, if if it is a church walking in the will of God, when people walk into that church, there's something otherworldly there. And it's the powers of the world to come. You realize, you realize that we literally are experiencing the future this morning. We're experiencing the age to come this morning in earnest. That's what Hebrews says. That when the Holy Spirit moves upon us, We're experiencing what's going to be in the future, and we barely are just getting a little down payment of it. What the glorious presence of God that we're going to experience in the future, but we can experience Him now. The church is to be a dwelling place of God. The church is to be a place where the Spirit of God dwells and lives and flows among the people of the Lord. And the only way for the church to be that dwelling place is for every single one of its members to be filled with the Spirit of God. To fill us. Now listen. This filling, this experience, this sealing, some the apostle called it. And I, I personally don't believe the sealing is a one-time sealing. I don't believe it's just a one and done. Nowhere in the scripture is it one and done. That's Reformation theology that is wrong. Over and again, Jesus said, abide in me. If you abide in me, if you abide in me, if you remain in me. Paul said, be being filled, be being filled. It's not a one and done. But listen, this filling, this experience of the Spirit 
is, is more than a theoretical thing. It needs to be practical. It needs to be experiential. It needs to be real among us, tangible among us. Here's what Paul said to the Corinthians. Do you not know that you are the temple of God? And the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now in this verse, <clears throat> some verses, <clears throat> the, some verses, <clears throat> pardon me, some verses speak about individual, that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Meaning your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. I mean, therefore, we need to really think serious about sin. Think serious. And Jesus deals with that in the context of immorality. Would you take Jesus and would you join him to some harlot somewhere? Why? Why is it so serious? Because Jesus is in you through the Holy Spirit. The presence of God is with you. But here, this is about the temple, the body, the whole church. The, the, you are God, the Spirit of God dwells in you. The Spirit of God dwells in you. Why? Because as Ephesians said, we're to be a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. But notice the next verse. <clears throat> if anyone defiles the temple. Hmm. If anyone defiles the temple. Have you ever read that verse? God will destroy him. Now this is not some Old Testament verse. This is in your New Testament. Written by an called and anointed apostle. He said, God will destroy him. Notice, for the temple of God is holy. Which temple you are. Now remember this. It is a privilege to have the Holy Spirit working in our soul. That's what I'm trying to tell you. But notice that this privilege is so sacred. And it is so serious that the Lord gives a sharp warning here to say this, that if anyone would damage a local church, God will destroy that person. That's how high this privilege is. That's how sacred this privilege is. The pastor, Jack Hayford, says this, and I quote, Paul does not specify how one may destroy the temple of God, that is, the church. The word means to ruin through corrupting or seducing. Thus, any number of unworthy, immature, or crude means may apply. It may be by false teaching, by pride, by in spite, or by immorality. Paul does not make it clear. However, the one defiling will himself be brought to ruin. It's a serious, high, magnificent privilege to be a part of God's dwelling, to be a part of a local church, a part of the temple of the Lord. And think about this, when the Holy Spirit moved in individuals' lives, when, when God's Spirit would come in, it was in reality. That's what we want. We want to experience God this morning in reality. This experience is more than some doctrine on a website, that this is what we believe. That this, but we want to experience this in our lives and our souls today. In reality, rivers of living water. On the day of Pentecost, it was a reality. When the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were in one accord in one place. 
And suddenly, there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. So they weren't even standing. They were all just sitting like you're sitting. God has no limits. He can touch you sitting, touch you standing. And there appeared unto them divided tongues as a fire. And one set upon each of them. Some believe that a ball of fire came in and just the flames began to separate. You could see a flame above every little head. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. What a moment. Oh, I wish I would have been in that meeting. 121 people there. Brother Charles got in. Hmm. Wow. How many wish you'd been in that meeting? Wouldn't it be amazing? If I'd even been in the back, I wouldn't have cared. But we say that. But I'm telling you, the same spirit The same Holy Spirit is in this room right now, this very moment. You can experience Him in reality. You can know this power. At Cornelius' house, it wasn't some theoretical history lesson. Oh, Cornelius, back in Moses' day, the the Spirit was poured on the elders. And they began to prophesy, me dad and Bill dad or whatever the dad's names were. No, Cornelius and his whole household experienced a reality of the move of the Holy Spirit. And it says, while Peter was still speaking, the Spirit of God fell on those who heard the word. And those of the circumcision who believed were astonished as Many as came with Peter because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. How did they know? Because there was a reality of God. There was something tangible that was happening among them. It said he heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. In Ephesus. What they experienced with just 12 men was a reality. A privilege, a glorious privilege. To have the Holy Spirit working in their souls. And I'll paraphrase. Paul asked them, what baptism were you baptized? John baptism, which is a baptism of faith that Christ is coming, but he'd already come. They were re-baptized. Only time we have that in the New Testament that we know of. And then Paul said, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? We did not know that there is such an experience like this. And the Bible said he laid hands on them. And they spoke in tongues and prophesied. Something really happens when we experience the wonderful person of the Holy Spirit. And it becomes a reality to you. Now think about it. To have the presence of the Holy Spirit moving and manifesting among us is of the highest spiritual privilege that someone could have. But I would, I would turn that around just for a moment. If, if having the presence of God dwelling among us 
and filling our souls and moving and coming among us. I think one of the greatest spiritual tragedies would be for God to withdraw his presence. Would you think that? To withdraw his presence. Got to be a tremendous tragedy. Here's, here's what I think is happening in many places today. Churches have the capacity to embrace forms of religion without God. Jesus warned us. In fact, the scripture warns us in the last days that men can gather into forms without God's presence. Men are good at religion. And religion can be conducted without God, without His presence, without His blessings. But there's no life in it. The the church at Laodicea was going through their worship. And yet Jesus is not even in their presence. I mean, it's astounding when you think of it. Jesus is not there. Man is so self-willed, we won't worship our way. See, our modern modern folks start with what we want start with what the culture wants start with what the fad is that's not where the apostles started they started with what does God's word command what does God's word say what does God's words teach the Bible said they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching that's where they started with God but modern worship starts with man and it's really not worship at all it's false it's will worship. The church at Ephesus was warned. Here's, he said, if you don't return to your, do your first works, if you don't repent, he said, I'm going to come quickly. And he said, I'm going to remove your lampstand from its place. I'm going to remove your lampstand. I'm going to remove my presence Ephesus was one of the most dynamic, one of the greatest churches in the history of the world. And yet Jesus said, I will remove the lampstand if you don't repent. Tony Evans, which is a pastor that actually is about 20 miles from here, here's what he says. The remedy was to remember how it used to be when we were excited about Jesus And return to that attitude. If the church fails to repent, Christ would remove its lampstand. That is, put out the lights. If our church's activity is about us rather than about Jesus, he'll remove his presence from it. End quote. Oh, today, may we not forget the high privilege that we have to have the Holy Spirit dwelling among us, working in us, filling us, overflowing us. May we not take it for granted. May we cherish it. May we embrace it. May we receive it. And may we always guard it. I have two things to say, and the second one will need to be more brief. It's not only a high privilege, but notice... It it is a holy privilege. It is a holy privilege to have the Spirit of God working in us. Because listen, it's the Holy Spirit who will anoint us and enable us to fulfill God's purposes. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. No strength of man can. Now listen to this. 
Godly living is not some high calling of a few select so-called super saints. But godly living is God's eternal purpose for all the saints. Here's what Paul said. Just as he chose us, that is, he chose the church. In him, that is, in and only through Jesus. Before the foundation of the world, that is, before time and memorial. That we should be holy and without blame before him in love. This call to godly living, this call to holy living, it's not something that some, a few super saints, well, you know, uh, Granny lived, right? No, for everyone who's a Christian, there's an eternal call that happened and came from God before there was matter, before the sun, the moon, and the stars. God said, everyone that would call on my name and be saved, I've chosen them to be holy and to live godly in this present age. And this comes really to the core Of what salvation really means. Salvation is deliverance. I know there's other benefits, but in in its core, salvation is salvation deliverance from what? From sin. From sin's penalty, from its power, from its practice, but not its presence just yet. But that's coming. The kingdom of God is coming. And every other sinful kingdom will be erased, and one day in the age to come, the kingdom of God will feel all in all. God will feel all in all. And there will be a kingdom of righteousness. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. There's power in this gospel. So that means this. If we receive the gospel, then this gospel is going to have some kind of evidence in our life that we have received this delivering, powerful gospel that delivers us from the power of sin and the practice of sin and the penalty of sin. I mean, think about it. How can you meet the God of the universe and walk away as if you've been to Burger King and ordered some fries? You cannot truly meet the God of the universe and be unchanged. You can accept him or you reject him, but you will not be unchanged. Now quickly, listen. Would you listen closely? This is my burden. It's been my burden for a long time. The modern and really an ancient idea of claiming salvation while evidencing no change is a false and a dangerous idea. That is actually... An American cultural invention. And it's not salvation. True salvation. It's what some have called cultural Christianity. That's not... Cultural Christianity is not genuine salvation in Christianity. In in this kind of deceived spiritual thinking of cultural Christianity, God becomes kind of a utilitarian God. Rather than who he really is, sovereign God, holy God. This is where, in my opinion, where all the kind of best life now theology is birthed from. Where in those messages, repentance, self-denial, 
taking up the cross is completely erased from its presentation. All that becomes all those things, meaning repentance, self-denial, taking up the cross, those become optional parts of the gospel rather than the, rather than the commands of, the holy, of a holy God from the beginning. But I would warn, and sometimes I feel like a lone voice, anyone who preaches pardon of sin without the imperative of holiness is preaching a false gospel, and that gospel will send people into eternity without Christ. Grace, are you still listening? Grace is not a covering for unrepentant sin. But it is God's power to deliver us from sin. And this kind of distorted spiritual thinking makes God obligated to me rather than me obligated to God. It's kind of thinking turns Christianity into a me-centered theology. And isn't this what Paul warned us about? In the last days, perilous times will come. Listen to the prophetic word. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unforgiving, slanders, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, heady, uh, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. You say, oh, that's incredible. But that's not what astounds me. The next verse is what astounds me. It's those very people that have those kind of ungodly qualities. Look at verse 5. They're going to be church people. They're going to be religious people. Having a form of godliness but denying its power. What kind of power? Saving power. Delivering power. Redeeming power. Uniting to God power. From such people turn away. Why do we turn away from those? Because that's a false gospel the Holy Spirit will not honor. Why? Because not only is this a high privilege, it's a holy privilege to have the Spirit of God take the true gospel and bring it into our souls. I'm I'm closing. Here's what Spurgeon said. If the grace that I profess to have received leaves me in the same condition that I was before I received it, it is not New Testament grace. In the modern day, our modern day preachers have separated justification and sanctification, and the twain shall never meet in their pulpit, not in this life. Yet the gospel that Jesus preached and the apostles preached included both justification and sanctification. Jesus said in Mark 1, in the beginning of his ministry, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Peter said, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The true gospel delivers us from eternal spiritual death But it also raises us up to live out God's holy purposes in this life right now. Paul said, shall we continue in sin that grace may may abound? Certainly not. How can we who died to sin live any longer in it? Do you not know that as many as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death. Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we, even so we, even so we should walk in newness of life. Just as Jesus 
was raised up from the grave in reality, we can live for God in the power of the Holy Spirit in reality. I close with this. No sin can conquer you if you will let the Holy Spirit fill your life. The power of the Holy Spirit is a sin-killing power. The Holy Spirit is a sin-killing power. How do I know? Here's what the Word says. If we live according to the flesh, we'll die. But if by the Spirit you put to death, you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Sin cannot stand and dominate you if you have the power of God. No immorality, no drugs, no gossip, no whatever it is cannot stand in your life. This privilege is a high privilege. It's also a holy privilege because the Spirit of God wants to live among us. I want you to stand. Hallelujah.